0: welcome to the digital digest your weekly telecoms and data center podcast brought to you by the teams at capacity and data economy I'm your host, Deputy Editor, Melanie Mingus. And joining me this week, we have Editor-at-Large, Alan Burkett-Grey, and Senior Reporters, Abigail Pier and Natalie Bannerman. This week, we are also joined live by a special guest, Mikhail Shashny, who is the VP of Mobility and IoT Business, as well as the CMO for Bix. Uh, Mikhail, welcome to the Digital Digest, and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hello, Melanie, great to be here.
0: Um, now, over the course of this episode, we are going to be talking about the bigger stories from the last week. Um, but first of all, a quick roundup of what's been happening since we last recorded. Um, Telecom Italia is reportedly planning 1,300 employee redundancies by the end of 2021. At Liberty Latin America, a restructure has been completed, paving the way for a new exec lineup. While in the US, the FCC is considering deploying a policy on open run. Um, In South Africa, long-awaited spectrum auction there is facing another hurdle um, as a separate court dispute led to the regulator being prohibited from assessing applications. And in Russia, MTS has launched the country's first pilot 5G network for consumers, while in the Philippines, the country's third telco, Ditto Telecommunity, launched earlier this week. So it's been a very busy one again across telecoms and the data centre industry. Um, And of course, Monday the 8th of March was also International Women's Day. Um, We have a raft of content over at Capacity Media. All curated and written by Natalie. So if you haven't already, um, there are plenty of links in the post that brought you to this podcast. So please do go and visit those pieces. Um, And some of them we'll be discussing later in the episode. But to start today's podcast, we're going to get a roundup of the biggest data centre projects to be announced this week. Abigail, tell us what's
2: been happening. Yeah, so this week has been very, very busy. Um, Starting off in Asia, Singapore-based data centre provider Princeton Digital Group will be building one of the largest greenfield campuses in the Mumbai region, which is also its first data centre in India. The data centre is scheduled to be service ready by 2022 and will have 48 megawatts of critical IT capacity across two buildings. The new, campuses, um, the new campus sorry, will serve hyperscalers, including internet and cloud companies in the Mumbai region with infrastructure built to hyperscale standards. This is to support the massive scale requirements of customers in the region, according to the company. PDG's operational model allows it to enter critical hyperscale growth markets like Mumbai The company did not disclose financial details of the project. However, this will certainly be one development venture I will be keeping my eye on. Staying in Asia this week, MC Digital Realty which is a 50-50 joint venture between Mitsubishi Corporation and Digital Realty, has launched a collaboration project with Arteria Networks to provide new connectivity that will directly link the MC Digital Realty NRT connected campus and the new submarine cable landing station near Inzai City in Japan. The company said this will bypass the need to interconnect in downtown Tokyo and the project will enable customers to deploy their critical applications at a key center of data exchange on platform digital. In January 2020, so last year, um, MC Digital Realty began construction for a key center of data um, exchange in Tokyo. In its Tokyo data center with plans to build a 100 megawatt campus by securing adjacent land for the data center development. Arteria Networks is expanding its optical network in Inzai City in Japan and announced its plan to build facilities for a dedicated fiber connection at MC Digital Realty's NRT10 data center. Now moving away from Asia, um, another bit of news that caught my eye this week. Was the announcement from Align, who completed its second data center in the Salt Lake Metro area, located in West Jordan in Utah. The 48 megawatt data center, like PDG's facility in Mumbai, is the second data center to be built on Align's Salt Lake Metro Data Center campus. The facility spans across two. 140,000 square feet and will have the ability to expand to 60 megawatts of critical ICT power in the future. The data centre will feature the company's Delta 3 cooling technology, which Align actually upgraded in November last year. The Salt Lake City metro area is, is a growing technology centre with various connectivity options and alternative energy um, incentives now lastly equinix this week provided details on its 3 billion dollar Xscale data center program including projects currently under development in brazil france japan and other markets the company said the planned global expansion will serve the growing demands of hyperscale companies that are deploying infrastructure at equinix equinix X-scale data centers serves the core workload of deployment needs of a targeted group of Hyperscale companies. On March the 1st, Equinix opened its 1st Xscale data center in Tokyo, which operates in close proximity to 11 international business exchange data centers in Tokyo. The company said um, with Xscale data centers, Hyperscale companies will have the ability to add core deployment to their existing access point, point footprints at Equinix. That's all from me. Alan, I know you have some interesting news developments.
3: Yes, thanks, Abigail. Yeah. In last week's podcast, we talked about a new company in Hong Kong, uh, Turbidite, that plans to buy a bunch of smaller data centers across Southeast Asia. Um, that's data centers that have been ignored by the hyperscalers. Well, a week later, that's uh, beginning of this week, Turbidite has announced its first acquisition. And that's the first of three that uh, the CEO, Bill Barney, says will happen this year, this year. Uh, Bill is uh, known to a lot of people in this industry. He was, until a year ago, CEO of uh, Global Cloud Exchange. And before that, he's was with he been with Asian operators for the last 20 odd years. Um, but this is a venture with IT&E, which is the local telco in the US-owned island of Guam. And Guam, I had to look it up on a map, it's uh, 1,500 kilometers east of the Philippines. 2,000 kilometers south of Japan. It's a long way away from anywhere, uh, but it's potentially a useful location for what Turbidite says will be a a central internet exchange. It's the closest US-owned place to Southeast Asia in terms of latency, uh, and that's the big attraction. Bill Barney says it's ideal for a highly connected and secure carrier-neutral data center. If you look at TeleGeography's submarine cable map, Uh, There are a bunch of cables that already land in Guam. Uh, They head to the mainland US, to Japan, to Australia and other places in the Pacific. Uh, It's a bit like the sort of 60 Hudson Street of the Western Pacific. Um, So turbidite Guam will turn a brownfield building, which I presume means an old telephone exchange or something like that, into a state-of-the-art three megawatt tier three plus data center, with future expansion to 10 megawatts capacity. Um, And there will be open meet me rooms with fiber on demand to all the current and future cable landing stations in Guam, says Bill. And the attraction is it's U.S. territory. So it's controlled by the FCC, licensed by the FCC. But it's very close to Asia. And that's the market that uh, Turbidite is looking for. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much, Alan. So that's um, a potential solution then for the Hong Kong security law that has uh, caused so many disruptions in terms of U.S. connectivity to Asia. Um, and another Yes, exactly.
3: Th- and, and, and But Turbidite is based and registered in Hong Kong, so it depends what the uh, new administration of the U.S., what view they take of it, I suppose, which will be interesting to follow over the next few months.
0: Certainly, yeah, and we'll be coming back to the US later in the episode, Um, but thank you, Abigail and Alan. That's easily another billion dollar week in the data center space. Great to know who's been announcing what. Um, And now to the telecoms
4: roundup. Natalie, what have you been covering this week? Thanks, Melanie. Um, So yeah, some interesting developments this week. So starting off with AT&T, the company recently launched its managed secure access service edge or SACE for short, uh, a solution. So uh, it actually forms part of the company's managed security services portfolio um, and will leverage Fortinet technologies. And it includes a a web gateway, firewall as a service, cloud access, security broker and zero trust access. Um, According to both companies, um, this marks the first global global managed SASE solution that combines SD-WAN with essential network security functions of the SASE framework as well as 24-7 management. So a big claim there. Um, at and said it um, has consolidated its approach to help its enterprise customers reduce operational costs by moving to a single cloud delivered solution. Um, as we know, you know, SASE is a, a much talk about um, innovation in the space and a bit, bit of a buzzword at the moment, um, you know, bringing together, you know, as they mentioned, SD WAN and, and security as a cloud service directly to the source of connection rather than, you know, to an enterprise data center. So um either way, congrats to ATT and Fortinet um for being one of the first in the space. Um, in other news, Zayo is actually set to acquire Intelligent Fibre Network. Um, rather annoyingly, they haven't actually given us a, a, a price on that. You know, we, we like a figure. Um, so we don't actually know how much the deal is for. But um, IFN actually operates a 5,000 route mile network in Indiana. Um, and it includes um, Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, Columbus, South Bend, etc. Um, and, according to Jim Turner, who is IFN CEO, the combination of IFN and ZeO will enable significantly enhanced reach and value to our customers and our legacy owners. It will also unlock um, investment and growth opportunities for its Indiana network. So the deal is actually due to close in the first half of this year, subject to you know customary regulatory approvals, et cetera, and closing conditions. So congratulations to Zeo and IFN. Now, over in Australia, it seems that the Vocus Macquarie saga, for lack of a better word, has reached a conclusion. Uh, Vocus Group has entered into a scheme implementation deed, a, a new one for me, but um, with it's with a Macquarie led consortium to, inqu- to acquire the company for 3.5 billion Australian dollars, which amounts to about 2.7 billion US dollars. Now, the consortium is comprised of Macquarie infrastructure and real assets and its managed funds, as well as a company called Aware Super. Um, they will uh, buy the company for approximately five, uh, $5.50 five per share. Now, according to Bob Mansford, who is Vocus's chairman, uh, the Vocus board has unanimously um, decided to uh, approve the offer and they say that it is in the best interests of uh, Vocus's shareholders. Now, the uh, the deal is subject to shareholder approval, court approval and regulatory approval, so still a few hurdles to get through, um, all of which uh, should be completed over the coming months with a view for complete completion by um, July 2021. Uh, I'm sure we'll all be keeping an eye on that. Now. For my last story, um, I'm going to end with, with one that's been you know, quite close to my heart for anybody who's ever listened. Um, we're going to go with a, um, a story from International Women's Day, which was uh, on the 8th of March. Verizon actually uh, launched its Women's Collab, which is a new initiative to support women um, as the pandemic has uh, women actually leaving the workforce at unprecedented rates. Um, so the initiative will create mentorship networks, free resources and training to support women as well as small business owners and entrepreneurs. In addition, the company said that it will also uh, start with a call to action, a social media call to action, um, which started on March 10th, and it will be known as Women Own Wednesday, hashtag Women Own Wednesday, um, which will highlight, you know, women doing, you know, great things in the space and encouraging everybody to really kind of support, um, you know, women in businesses every Wednesday. Um, but in a letter to its employees, three of Verizon um, executives, which includes um, Tammy Irwin, who's the chief executive officer of Verizon Business, uh, Chris. Uh, uh, Pambianki, who is the human resources officer of Verizon, and uh, Rima Krojiehi, who is the chief strategy officer, um, they actually said that these setbacks caused by COVID um, risk undoing years of hard-earned progress and that, uh, you know, women's careers are not expendable in a crisis. So um, I I think a great initiative and something that we should fully support. Um, But that's it for me with the news.
0: Thanks so much Natalie. Um, a great initiative indeed and definitely one we will be supporting at capacity. Um, thank you so much for bringing us that, that roundup. Um, so later in the episode we are going to be talking all things IoT with Mikhail Shashni from Bix. Um, but before we move to that, um, back to you Alan because you have a few stories to bring us um, which concern various deals and developments from around the world. So handing over to you now.
3: Yeah, thank you Melanie. Uh Yes, let's stick with telecoms uh, following Natalie's roundup. Normally, stock exchange prospectuses are dense and dull, but I got one this week from someone who said I should have a closer look, someone who keeps a close eye on the industry, as do we. Um, It's from an investor of an investment company called Triple Point Investment Management. And Hitler started up a new company, Digital Nine Infrastructure, and I don't know what Digital Nine means either. Uh, But in a few weeks' time, literally the end of March, it wants to raise 400 million pounds by floating its shares on the London Stock Exchange. And then, if that's not enough, it will buy Aquacoms, which is the company that owns uh, transatlantic subsea cables. And it's going to pay Aquacoms about $250 million for that. Aquacoms is based in Dublin and has a number of uh, cables. It's a relatively new company. Uh, 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 But now, as far as I understand it, and I can't, say why I understand it because the rules about share offers are strict and no one is supposed to talk to anybody apart from saying look in the prospectus. This is not a hostile bid. The idea is that Aquacoms will be the first of a number of infrastructure acquisitions but it's the only company named so far. I'm sure that there are some others that are being lined up Uh, and it seems to be a sort of London-based replica of digital colony. That's the US investment company run by Mark Ganzi, that has spent billions on tower companies, fibre companies and other digital infrastructure over the last few years. Last year, for example, Digital Colony and a Swedish investor called EQT bought Zeo, the US fibre company for just over $14 billion. And hey, look, Jack Waters, who was COO at Zeo until last September, is chairing the Digital 9 Infrastructure Board. Uh, He's also got on board his uh, a former BT executive, uh, Lisa Harrington, and she's now interim managing director of infrastructure at HyperOptic, uh, a UK fiber to the home company. Now, I've asked Jack whether that might indicate the Digital Nine infrastructure is next uh, interest, but uh, he's sticking to the rules and he's not talking to me. Uh, but we will hopefully get him or somebody else from Digital Nine on here before too long, sometime in April, I hope. What's next? We don't know. They won't talk on or off, for the record until the share offer is complete. And then it's bought Aquacoms. That should be very fast. It should be by the end of March. But once that's done, we'll be following up with them. Um, let's stay in the UK for the next story. Um, this is back with OneWeb. we've talked about a number of times here. That's a satellite company that the UK government rescued from bankruptcy last year along with the Indian operator Bharti Airtel, they spent $500 million each uh, when it was in Chapter 11. OneWeb's just announced its first deal to make terminals with a South Korean company called Intellian. Um The deal's worth $73 million, but we don't know how many terminals that will buy. Uh, but if you look at the small print, they won't be on the market until next year, it seems, which is odd because Sunil Bharti Mittal, the executive chairman of One OneWeb, and he's the guy that started Bharti Airtel, uh, the clue's in the name, um, it's his middle name, told me uh, a few weeks ago that he wants terminals to be on sale for Christmas, at least in the UK. My interview with him is on the Capacity website now. And it's in the latest issue of Capacity magazine. So have a look at what he says. So we'll see. Uh, Time is tight. The the company's had only one satellite launch since it was rescued. And that was in December. Uh, The next will be on the 25th of March. So we don't have very long. That's a three-month gap in satellite launches. Um, Fortunately, they do a lot at a time. But it's still a slightly worrying gap, which means that if they're going to make their target of commercial service, In the north of the world, that's everywhere from 50 degrees north up to the North Pole uh, by October. That means they've only got about seven months to complete that bit of their infrastructure. Um, And finally, the European Union announced a big digital programme this week. It's called Digital Compass. Uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who's president of the European Commission, and Margareta Vestia, the executive VP of the Commission for all things digital, Uh, set out a number of ambitious targets for 2030, and I'll run through them quickly. Uh, They want at least 80% of all adults in the EU to have basic digital skills with 20 million people employed as ICT specialists across the EU. They want all EU households to have gigabit connectivity by 2030, and all populated areas should be covered by 5G, they say. That's a big target. And UK is not a member of the EU anymore, as of a year ago. And I don't think the UK has got anything like that sort of target. Uh, That will be quite, but we looked at quite closely in London, I think. Uh, The EU, at the same time, they want 20% share of the world production for cutting edge and sustainable semiconductors. Uh, Europe used to be a big leading centre of semiconductor manufacture. It's lost it over the last couple of decades to mainly to Taiwan and Japan and China. Um, and it's coming back in the States, but the EU is really out of that market. So that would be an interesting um, target. Uh, the EU also wants to deploy 10,000 climate neutral, highly secure edge nodes. That's as things move to the edge because of latency, because of IOT and other services like that. Um, and it said that from the get go, they should be climate neutral. It wants three out of four companies to use cloud computing services across the EU and big data and artificial intelligence, which is a big campaign, seems to be in the offing. And all key public services should be available online, says the EU. All citizens should have access, for example, to their electronic medical records. Uh, Ambitious, definitely ambitious, realistic, I think, if the EU is to be a credible rival in technology to China, and to a revived US. That's what it has to do. And I think that's food for thought in London as well, because you know, UK is not part of the EU anymore. It's got to make its own policy, and it will be seeing the EU as a place to catch up. With that, back to you, Melanie.
0: Thanks, Alan. Interesting developments indeed on the continent. Um, Well, that brings us nicely um, to the interview segment of this episode. Um, We are talking now to Mikhail Shashny, who is the VP of Mobility and IoT Business, as well as the CMO at Bix, which, as everybody knows, is a huge player um, across Europe. Mikhail, welcome to the Digital Digest.
1: Hello, thank you for that.
0: Thank you for being here, thank you for joining us, and thank you also for your patience um, with my northern accent pronouncing your name, I'm sorry if it's not entirely um, as intended, (laughs) Um, but we are delighted to have you joining us live today and we're all very excited to talk to you about the latest developments from VIX as well as some cutting edge technology trends that you're going to talk about. So we are going to start by talking about narrowband IOT. Um, now, this is a mastermind subject for Bix, and in January, you partnered with the French mobile operator SFR to extend narrowband IOT connectivity in France and also expand NB-IOT and LTE-M network. Um, so tell us, what, what happened, um, how did it go?
1: Yeah, so we see NB-IOT as another very strong enabler for the acceleration of IOT across the world and across also many different use cases. So it's very promising uh, technology and a lot of hardware manufacturers and OEM are all eager to, uh, to play with it and embed it into their devices. But there is a catch uh, because the coverage is not yet there. It's, uh, it's still difficult to find uh, connectivity in all the mobile operators around the world. So we are trying to, to take a leadership all in there, and uh, and then working with the, the fast mover like SFR in order to bring this new cellular connectivity to, for instance, hardware manufacturers and OEM that are really uh, looking for it. So basically, as we did for 2G, 3G, and 4G, where today we provide coverage in more than 700 networks and 200 countries, where we are also looking to develop one of the largest NB-IoT footprint in the world so that any uh, device maker can easily embed this new cellular connectivity into the devices and then with a a unique sim that we do provide, they can launch the new devices and they can connect anywhere in the world seamlessly.
0: Well, that sounds absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure, as Alan just mentioned, with the um, European Commission's plans for a digitally transformed European Union, um, that's definitely going to fit in very well um, with what's happening in the wider economy. So tell us, Mikhail, how will this technology be used?
1: So, I mean, there will be a lot of uh, different use cases when it comes to uh, NB-IoT, like, uh, I mean, to to embed, uh, I mean, connectivity in sensors, uh, for uh, tracking uh, shipments, for also uh, temperature screening and so on. So, I mean, we, we see definitely a rise of nbiot alongside also rise of uh, new capabilities that are looked by enterprise to, to build a private network. So, I mean, overall, I mean, on one side, we'll see more and more Uh, deployment of IoT-enabled network, not only on the public side but also on the private side, uh, enabling new use cases as well as the emergence of new uh, capabilities, new solutions that are leveraging uh, those uh, connected devices.
0: Cool. Um, So, In terms of adoption, what are your take-up projections at this point?
1: Well, I mean, there are lots of numbers, but uh, I mean, some of them are already estimating that today you have about more than 3 billion M2M connections around the world. And only 10% of those are currently based on low power wireless technologies. So going forward, it's expected that we'll reach around 6 billion IoT M2M connection in about five years from now. and around a third of those will be based on low-power tech. And most likely, NB-IoT and LTE-M will be making the majority of those connections. And this will be be driven by also the the increased availability of IoT modules, the decrease of cost, and also the launch of new solutions leveraging uh, this new cellular technology.
0: Excellent. Um, well, moving on now to the sim things. things um, Now, this currently supports 5G device connectivity in Canada and Taiwan. Um, and I believe that Bix is planning to add up to 50 locations by the end of this year. Um. So to just set the scene, how does this work?
1: So basically, as we said uh, earlier, I mean, we will look to really provide the largest roaming footprint, but also IoT footprint to our clients whether it's on 2G, 3G, 4G and now upcoming 5g. So uh, with 5G today you have uh, 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 a first step which is in upgrading the radio network around the world. but the, the, the core network elements do still rely on, uh, on 4G. So basically we, we are now discussing with all the early adopters of 5G to bring on the new radio network, uh live for any international connectivity needs so indeed you mentioned i mean uh, about 15 networks uh, with whom we are in talks and are eager to open up their brand new 5g networks to international travelers but also international iot uh, players
0: excellent Um, Well, another trend that we wanted to talk to you about today, um, Mikhail, is um, the private network. It's been huge in the carrier market um, over the last few months, um, and we just keep hearing more and more announcements. pretty much on a monthly basis about different projects um, around the world that are really pioneering um, this for different clients. Um, so to set the scene, first of all, tell us what Bix is doing in the private network space and tell us who you're working with. Um, for example, there's TIP, which now works on private networks. Who do you collaborate with?
1: So on, on private networks, we, we are definitely, I mean, uh, on top of it, we are working also with different bodies who are aiming to advance IoT overall Uh, like the IoT M2M Council, the MEF, and the GSMA, of course. And mobile private networks is very high on the agenda together with 5G because it will act as an accelerator for the deployment of overall IoT thanks to greater bandwidth, ultra-low latency, and massive machine-to-machine communication. So on our side, what we do is to provide a turnkey core network solution to private networks and enterprise looking to deploy them so that they can plug in the radio uh, capabilities to our sim-for-sync service. And on top of that, we can also act as a bridge between the private environment that they are building and also the public mobile infrastructure so that we can provide connectivity in more than 200 countries and 700 networks around the world. So Overall, I mean, on one side enterprise, they want the reliability of a private network, but also all the benefits that can come with global cellular connectivity. So we are happy to play a role in enabling this.
0: Congratulations. Um, So when it comes to pioneering private networks for clients, um, this technology, was kind of conceptualized in a very different time um, economically speaking and given the world has been through well it's still going through the covid recession and enterprises in particular um, especially like shipping companies and ports and you know places that would implement these private networks they've not had the easiest time um, over the last 12 months so how do you think that might impact take up an investment in private networks and do you think how you know Across the telco industry, do we need to maybe address how this technology is marketed, um, you know, and how we see private networks as a service, for example?
1: Yeah. So indeed, I mean, uh, I mean, the, the the whole world has gone through a, a big crisis, and potentially it has also created some delays on uh, the the plans to to upgrade the infrastructure. But on the other side, there there is a rising need to accelerate digital transformation and. Their global private networks are also uh, a key in enabling this transformation so that we can, I mean, again, better track shipments around the world uh, that you can think about. Also, I mean, uh, all the work being done nowadays to uh, to deliver vaccine uh, all all around the world and also to check the temperature. uh, I mean, in terms of security, I mean, track and grant people the right access in terms of health. Also, screen the, the the temperature. So there are, I mean, a, a thousand new use cases which are uh, enabled uh, thanks to uh, to private uh, network technology. So we believe that enterprises will continue to invest in it. Uh, we'll see more and more uh, uh, connected airports, uh, connected warehouses, connected factories, and so on. And most likely, five uh, G will be potentially the best way in the future to support high density and high capacity requirements together with the highest level of security and reliability that we need. So, I mean, going forward again, we'll see more and more private network launch. Uh, on the other side, we'll see 4G and 5G radio equipment cost going down, and also IoT module cost uh, becoming more uh, easily available. So, if you combine all those ingredients, well, you have a nice recipe to see uh, uh, mushroom uh, growth uh, in terms of private networks around the world.
0: Fantastic! It sounds like a recipe for success, indeed. Um, and what kind of private network projects have you worked on, Mikhail?
1: So, uh, right now, so we are enabling. Uh, I mean, uh, some uh, specific. Um, uh, factories uh, to, to, to bring in uh, cellular technologies to, uh, to enable connected automation, uh, to also set up uh, advanced uh, robotics capabilities. We are also uh, in discussion with companies who are setting up um, private networks in uh, in public. I mean in uh, in uh, it's a public space where um, I mean you have a lot of uh, people traveling, for instance, like port and, and airports. But they also want to to have their own radio network in those uh, in those locations, so that I mean you you can still avoid uh, the risk of um, of having the, the networks completely jammed uh, by uh, private um, by uh, sorry the. The public usage and, and disrupt all the processes, all the the, the key uh, business activities that are taking place in, in those uh, facilities.
0: Fascinating stuff, um, guys. Open it up to the team. Does anybody have any specific questions for Mikhail that they'd like to ask?
3: Let me throw one in. Um, what's the most challenging situation for IoT? I remember talking to somebody from a big uh, US telco a few years ago who was talking about. Where really people wanted them on on shipping containers, but the problem with shipping containers is they they sit on quaysides, they ship, they they sit on the decks of boats, they get rain and water and seawater and all that sort of stuff, and it's a really demanding um, environment for them. Uh, and yet, ideally, that would be a perfect thing for IoT, so you can just track
1: them. Yes, so indeed. I mean, one of the big challenge uh, on IoT is really to to support each of the use cases and all of them do have their uh, specific requirements whether in terms of coverage in terms of quality in terms of device and so you need to combine a lot of elements, both from the software side and the hardware side to make everything work seamlessly and uh, and also have compatibility across the chain so this is where we play a role in uh, in working with the iot module uh, vendors, in working also with the mobile operator, in working also with the application uh, providers to have an overall end-to-end solution that work anywhere in the world.
3: Um, which leads on to a follow-up, if I may. Um, terrestrial networks, of course, cover land and even not all land. Um, are you working as BICs with any of the uh, satellite companies that are using nanosatellites to at least propose and develop
1: uh, IoT services? So today we have, I mean, still a lot of work. We, we, we discussed earlier on bringing NBIoT iot and LTM uh, available all across the world on making sure also 5G can be accessed uh, anywhere. And indeed, at some point of time, we could also foresee uh, hybrid, cellular, and satellite um, connectivity. And, and so we will be working definitely with, uh, with those uh, let's say those network providers, uh, those ter- I mean, uh, satellite network providers, as we, we did actually in the past for uh, voice uh, capabilities. Of course. Thank you.
4: Um, I had one. Mikhail, I was just curious to know, you know, both from a kind of MBIoT perspective, um, as well as kind of private networks, what you're kind of seeing happening in the more developing markets whereby, you know, the infrastructure is still being kind of laid and developed, and kind of how far behind these markets are in terms of those uh, deployments.
1: So right now, I mean, we see rising need of NBIoT and LTM and IoT overall, anywhere in the world. So not only in developed market or, uh, I mean, uh, emerging market. I mean, the need for connectivity is global. Uh, the use cases are also becoming more and more global as, as I mean, we hope soon we'll be again able to uh, to roam freely uh, on, on the planet. And, and so, I mean, every single mobile network provider is, is today working on enhancing its capabilities around IoT and not only support people to people communication but more and more machine to machine communication so i mean if you look even at the the, the forecast well i mean uh, there are countries definitely i mean leading uh, this transformation uh, in asia so there I mean, you can think about china of course and uh, and also we are seeing a, a lot of interest for instance in africa with uh, a, a very uh, diverse range of use cases and application which are sometimes also very different than the use cases that you can find for instance in europe uh, as they i mean they rely even more uh, on, on some of those countries on mobile uh, networks than uh, on the, the fixed network, which is lacking uh, for such, uh, I mean, uh, very uh, large countries.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks. That was that was it for me. Yeah, I had a
2: question. So the future of IoT has the potential to be limitless. Yeah. We will see its full effects on the global economy, that's if we're not currently witnessing it right now.
1: Well, most likely, Two three years down the road, we'll see more and more enterprises embedded, embedding sorry IOT into their own business processes, into uh, um, I mean the the, the the services that they do provide to uh, to other enterprises uh, or business uh, consumers or uh, anywhere in the world. So overall, we we could see a rising yeah, business impact, uh, but uh, it's still emerging right now. So IoT, although it is uh, is there uh, to, uh, I mean, to connect a- anything around us, well, uh, we, we, we still have most of uh, the devices around us not uh, connected and always on. But that will definitely change in the next three to five years. And, and then you will definitely have a, a big economical impact of, uh, of IoT. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Michael. Um, just one final question from me before we wrap up. Um, obviously, another part of this um, is the data center element. Um, are you working with anybody um, for the data center side of this, assuming that you're going to need a lot of um, edge capacity once the IoT network rolls out in full?
1: So today, most of our infrastructure is running on uh, I mean, our own cloud. Uh, we we deploy our own point of presence around the world. Of course, we work with uh, data centers, but not only. I mean, one because we intend to provide uh, redundancies and also uh, somehow uh, diversification in the way our customers can can reach us. So, so we work most likely with uh, the, the the largest data center provider anywhere in the world. But sometimes uh, many of them are only able to cover one particular geography. So we we, we need to have also uh, the ability to deploy all our platforms, all our services, as um, as the customer demand rise uh, and and be as close as possible of our client and customers.
0: Fantastic. Um, Well, Mikhail, thank you so much for joining us and thank you also for sharing all that insight. I think we've definitely grilled you enough now, um, but you've been a great sport and that was absolutely fascinating. Um, And that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Um, Again, huge thanks to Mikhail and Bix. Thanks to the team for bringing us the latest on all those big stories. And thanks also to everybody who listened. Um, We will, of course, return next week with more stories from the global tech and telecom space. But until then, we will not leave you without updates. Over at capacitymedia.com, You can sign up to the daily telecoms news alerts from capacity as well as the weekly news alerts from data economy and you can also reach and read sorry as alan mentioned earlier the february march edition of capacity magazine which came out on the 8th um it's power 100 season which means that you can now nominate the top personalities for recognition in our annual list and that'll be open until early april with the list revealed in our april and may edition for now that's all from me and the team have a great week take care and catch you next time